the single most important thing you can do, leg strength. What you're saying is, as we go into our 50s, that's exactly the sports yeah. we want to take. Our bones are the mineral factory of the body. Stephen is one of the most brilliant minds I've ever met. One of the world's leading experts on human performance. The New York Times best-selling author. Executive director of the Flow Research Collective. He's an award-winning journalist. And the author of 14 books. Flow isn't just what makes life worth living. It makes a whole lot more life worth living. His ideas have transformed the way I show up in work. It's allowed me to get into flow states. I've even attended classes by this man where he has taught me how to get into flow states as a writer so I can produce better quality work. The stronger your thighs are, yeah. the longer you live. Welcome to this episode of the Mind Valley Podcast with Stephen Kotler. Stephen, thank you for joining us here in LA. Again, amazing book. Gnar country, growing old, staying rad. Uh, tell us, country, not Gnar. <laughs> I'm just saying, man, being that we can cut here. <laughs> no, we're actually going to keep that in. Yeah, right? I know you are. <laughs> you know I have a weird Malaysian accent. So it's pronounced Gnar. Gnar. Gnar as a gnarly. Yes, exactly. You lived here for a long time. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Thank you for making me sound like an idiot on my own show. Okay, what is Gnar That's country? I'm here for. Um, it's a book about peak performance aging. It's a book about growing old and staying rad. It's a book that takes most of our traditional ideas around the second half of our life and what is possible mm -hmm. and totally upends them. It's based on a personal experience. I took a bunch of these ideas out of the lab and tested them in the real world. But it's about really a revolution over the past 30 years in what we think about aging. So... The traditional idea about aging, which dominated the 20th century, uh, and most of us still believe some element of it, if not all of it, is I call it the long, slow rot theory. It's the idea that all of our mental skills, our physical skills, they decline over time. There's nothing we can do to stop the slide. And it turns out that's not true at all. While these skills do decline, every single one of them we now know is a use it or lose it skill so if you keep training these skills you get to hang on to them even advance them far later in life than anybody thought so you're saying our brain doesn't necessarily age it's just that if we aren't giving our brain the stimulation that it needs that's when the aging occurs oh that's a really kind of good way of putting it yeah in a sense you're very right so I, I mentioned at the start of this podcast that what this book made me realize is that there are certain practices that I absolutely need to adopt right now. So right now, I, I go to the gym uh, two to three times a week for high-intensity interval training. Everyone's been talking about how high-intensity interval training is one of the most important things you can do for aging. Recently, Peter Diamandis started going on and on about this, right? Building muscle is one of the most important things you can do for longevity. But when I read this book, what that made me realize is that that is not enough. It isn't enough. Um, so VO2 max, which is mm -hmm. what high intensity training gives you, really cool facts. It used to be, we used to think, well, we know this. It starts declining at 25. Uh -huh. uh, by 50, it starts to fall off a cliff. And it used to be one of these things where it didn't matter what you thought about was possible in the second half of your life. Somebody was going to hammer you with VO2 max. They were going to be like, oh, yeah, what about? And then this weird thing started happening in ultramarathons, they started to realize that 70-year-olds were beating 60-year-olds and 80-year-olds were beating 70. And so the older people were doing much better. And they went, wow, this is really weird. What's going on? Let's look at the VO2 max of just an sort of average uh, triathlete in their uh -huh. 80s. 
they have the VO2 max of healthy 35-year-olds. So this thing that we thought fell off a cliff starting at 25 and you could never get it back, we now know if you train it properly, like you are doing with high-intensity uh -huh. training, you can really preserve it. Define VO2 max for members of the oh, audience VO2 who might not max, know that. It's your upper aerobic capacity. So when you're breathing really hard, uh -huh. if you're jumping rope, if you're mogul skiing, if you're doing high-intensity training, that's what you're training. Mm. It's your upper respiratory range. I want to roll back to the point you started with, which is it's not enough. So what we know is there's five categories of functional fitness that you want to train over time time. Um, strength, stamina, agility, balance, and flexibility. Strength, stamina, agility, balance, flexibility. And, the, and we have right. like very specific guidelines. World Health Organization says if you want peak performance aging, not just general healthy aging peak performance, you want to be at your best, it's 150 to 300 minutes a week of moderate to vigorous uh, aerobic activity, right, for stamina. Mm -hmm. Strength, you got to train twice a week, two days a week, and then you need three balanced flexibility and agility days, or you need to find sports that combine all those things. So when you use the term dynamic, dynamic is a single term that means it hits all five of those mm -hmm. categories, basically. Tennis is a really dynamic activity, skiing, snowboarding. A lot of the action sports are really good for this. Um, a lot of the racket sports seem as well. And it's interesting, these dynamic sports are so much better for health and longevity. So this is a work that was done at the Mayo Clinic. You join a health club. Wait, wait, just before you go on. Okay, so strength and stamina. So yeah. you can get that from high-intensity interval training. If you guys are in Valley, you know that we have programs like 10X. So 10X, of course, very effective for strength. Uh, studies show that high-intensity interval training will cause a 30% increase in endurance, which mm -hmm. would be stamina. But there are three that are missing. And what are those three again? Balance, flexibility, and agility. Balance, flexibility, and agility. Balance, flexibility, and agility. So that that was my big aha from this book. I was missing balance, flexibility, and agility. So what are the protocols that would give you that? Yoga is it would be really good. Um, there, I mean, there's a lot of different balance trainings mm -hmm. on the off season when I'm not skiing. Yeah. Right, I will do things like I'll stand on a BOSU ball and uh, with a kettlebell in one hand and right. do one-legged squats on a BOSU ball with that? a kettlebell. Yeah, you start with quarter squats and uh -huh. then you go to half squats and you work your way up um, and you work your weights up. But that's a really unstable thing. And I do it with four different foot positions. Mm -hmm. So with my ankle flexion in four right. different ways, that's one example of that, of that kind of training. The really big deal here, the really big deal, it's not just that these five categories uh, exist individually, it's that if you can bind them together same time if you're training dynamic motion mm -hmm. when you have to do like strength and uh balance and agility at the same time so mogul skiing is a really good example of this where it's an uneven surface uh -huh. you're being bounced around it takes a lot of leg strength and a lot of stamina but it also a lot of coordination so that promotes the birth of new blood vessels in the brain and the birth of new neurons. So if you want to stave off cognitive mm. decline, Alzheimer's, dementia, all of that stuff, you want the birth of new blood vessels that support new neurons and you want the birth of mm. new neurons. So dynamic motion on top of the fact that it trains all these individual categories. So balance, agility, and flexibility. So I think there's this overemphasis on um, stamina and strength, right? So a lot of people have protocols for stamina and strength. I think balance, agility, and flexibility are the ones that maybe we tend to miss. One of the ways to think about it is action sports are fantastic for longevity. In fact, the longest lived communities in America, mm -hmm. Summit County, Eagle County, and Pitkin County, these are 
this is they're all in Colorado. That's Vail, Aspen, Beaver Creek, Copper Mountain, these huge outdoor communities. It's because action sports combine all these things. They do a bunch of other things. But what's interesting about that is most people think about skateboarding or surfing or snowboarding is these are the activities I'm going to stop doing, mm-hmm. right? As, and they're the exact activities we want to be turning to towards. Yeah. So it's really – it's counterintuitive. So you're saying as we go into our 50s – I stopped skateboarding when I was like 22. But what you're saying is as we go into our 50s, that's exactly the when sports yeah. we want to take I'll give you. I'll give you another one. So the sport that a lot of older adults go towards is swimming. Why? Because there's no pressure on the joints mm-hmm. and everything, right? You hear all that. And swimming's good. If you swim regularly, it can add about like three, three and a half years to your life. Um, skiing, snowboarding, action sports will give you 10. Tennis will give you nine. Badminton, seven. Soccer, six. Uh-huh. Right? So swimming is the activity we, most people turn to. But the problem with it is bone density decreases over time. When you're swimming, mm-hmm. you're not loading your bones. So the reason strength training matters over time one, you because muscles, muscle right. fibers decrease over time, and we want to counteract that. But also, bone density decreases over time, and we need to load our bones. And bones are—it's crucial for balance, agility, all all the physical side of it. But people don't realize this: uh, the bones are the mineral factory of the body. So as we lose bone density, the brain, for example, runs on calcium, among other materials. Mm-hmm. Where do you think it gets that? It comes from our bones, right? And, and right? what you're saying is that we make a mistake. Older folks go for swimming because they think they it's think it's going to be easier and, and safer. they avoid skiing They're, or skateboarding yeah. or surfing because they think it's going to be dangerous. But what you're saying is we have to do the exact opposite. I am. Now, you, there's a way you want to approach the act because you still don't want to okay, get but, injured. But before you go there, I, I really want you to break down the difference between balance, agility, and flexibility. I think most people here get flexibility, right? Balance and agility, that's a little bit confusing me. They, they seem yeah, too they're, similar. They're, they're roughly the same thing, but the only reason, I, the only reason I'm using two words there mm-hmm. is balance is – so if you're standing and you're doing a yoga pose, tree pose, or right. you're holding one, that's balance. Or ballet, that's balance. Agility is more dynamic. It's when you're using balance skills at speed. So when you're bouncing down a mogul field – on skis or on a snowboard. Balance that's at speed is agility. Yeah, balance at speed is so if you're, agility. If, if, so I have this thing that there's I do a, with but my There's kids. also a little difference. So fast twitch muscle response uh-huh. declines over time. So if I'm jumping side to side really right. quickly, that's an agility training, right? You're training fast twitch muscle fibers. Mm-hmm. That's different than say tree pose at speed, right? Like it's a, there's, a, right. there's a slight difference between them and agility matters because fast twitch muscle fibers decline over time. Balance matters because if you're not gonna die of cancer or heart disease, uh, you're gonna fall down, break a hip, and die of a secondary infection like pneumonia. That's the major cause of death among people over 70 if, if you're not killed by one of the major diseases is the slipping, falling, and the secondary infection that you get. So you want you wanna train them both. Fat, agility is giving you the fast twitch muscle response that declines over time. Balance is, is is giving you good proprioception, vestibular awareness, those sorts of things. There's slightly different things going on. Big fancy words in those sentences. Amazing. <laughs> okay, so so let let let's break it down. The the key idea over here, and correct me if I miss anything out, is that we have a wrong perception about sports and aging. As people get older, they actually do less sports to try to be safe, right? So, for example, if you people over 50 might do 
swimming, but in actuality, based on the data, based on the science that you're pointing out, they need to be bold enough to look at certain forms of extreme sports, including skiing, because you get the full plethora of the five qualities that are actually going to make you live longer. Well, you get five of the qualities that will make you live longer. There's a, there's a lot right. more to the equation than just the physical side of it. But yes, that's absolutely correct, Vision. Is there an uh, impact on the brain, though? Yeah, so- On brain aging. Cr- crazy fact. The single most important thing you can do, the thing of the greatest correlate for preserving brain health uh-huh. and body health, leg strength. What? Thigh muscle mass inversely correlates with mortality. How crazy is hang that? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Leg strength Legs correlates strength. with mortality. No, no. Inversely correlates with inversely mortality. Inversely correlates. Yeah. So explain thigh that. Muscle, the, the stronger your thighs are, yeah. the stronger your quads are, the longer you live. And three reasons. How? So three reasons. One, if you want to uh-huh. – okay, if you want to live a long time, one of the things that's most important – is maintaining robust social connection. Right. Right. We all know this. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, there are studies that show that people who have complex social networks maintain robust, real friendships, real familiar relationships. It's about a seven to eight year boost right. in healthy longevity. Very, very, very important. So one, when your legs are weak, mm-hmm. um, Balance goes away, mobility goes away. You just stop going out and hanging out with your friends more often, right? So one, there's a social penalty. Two, we just talked about bone density, right? And Mm -hmm. bones are the mineral factory for the brain. Where are the largest bones in the human body? In your your femurs, right? right? So that's two. And three is, um, there's probably, by the way, more. This is just what we've Mm -hmm. just, what science has discovered are the reasons. Uh, The third we talked about as well, that, third most common killer of older adults is falling. So if you maintain leg strength, you don't tend to fall as much. Leg strength also tends to preserve balance. Um, so that, that's why there's probably way more going on. And by the way, everybody, including the scientists yeah. who went looking, were shocked when they, they were like, leg strength. This is literally, you got to remember, so there's a bunch of, the- of like egghead neuroscientists and geeks who went looking for like correlates for longevity and they come back with leg strength. This is not what they were yeah, expecting. And one of the most important exercises that anybody can do is the leg press. The leg press in the gym um, and, and, and constantly pushing your threshold in terms of how much you can lift. I did this with my dad. Okay. My dad, when he turned 70, mm-hmm. doctors told him his, his body was so weak. Doctors told him he was going to have five years to live. I put him on strength training. And now here's the crazy part that people don't get. The rate of improvement for, for someone over 50 is remarkable. So we put him on high intensity interval training. He went to the gym 30 minutes a week for four weeks. Now, when he started out, he was able to, to lift on a leg press machine something around 80 kilograms. Four weeks later, he was able to do a leg press 140 kilograms. His one rep max went from 80 kilograms to 140 kilograms. That's almost a 70% increase. Yeah, so and you- he only did a leg press once a week for four weeks. But he was going like really heavy weights. And he was doing that leg press for no more than 90 seconds. Oh, that's interesting. This is uh, your experience. So the strength work, a lot of it, the early mm-hmm. stuff got done at Tufts University in Boston uh, back in the in the 90s, 80s and 90s. Um, and 
that people were exactly your reaction where they were shocked. So the interesting thing about it, about peak performance aging is if you look at the data, two things are very true. The first one is that peak performance aging starts young. So there's stuff in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and your 50s that really matter. Second is exactly what you were talking about. Interventions, even incredibly late in life, really matter. It's shocking mm -hmm. the improvements you can get in strength as you're talking about. And this is like there's study after right. study. And if you look at the original studies, the researchers are blown away. They like can't like now it's sort of known, but it, you have these incredible, the researchers are like, we don't, we don't understand what we're looking at, right? We had sedentary 75 year old women who hadn't moved in 20 years. And in six weeks, we saw a 800% boost in strength. What the is going on here. Um, and so that's really common, these, these late in life interventions. In fact, there's studies that show that the if you're totally sedentary and over 80 mm -hmm. and just go from like totally sedentary to I'm now going to climb stairs instead of taking the elevator. I'm going to walk to the store instead of driving. Mm -hmm. sort of those kinds of interventions. Um, you immediately start getting health and longevity effects just from those interventions after decades of being sedentary in your eighth and ninth. So, so based on all the research you've looked at, I, I want to try a quick exercise with you. I'm going to, I'm going to mention a number of different sporting exercises and I want you to give it a rating for each on zero to 10 on how effective these are for strength, balance, agility, flexibility, and stamina. Let me add one thing to it before we mm -hmm. do this, before we're rating them. The thing you also have to remember is from a cognitive perspective, from a mental perspective, dropping into flow is the sing is maybe the single most important thing we can do for peak performance aging. So when you're rating the activities, you want to also be able to rate them for flow. And that's a little bit different because for some people, like repetitive motion over and over, cycling, swimming, uh -huh. right? Very flowy activities. So even though swimming is only going to give you 3.6 years mm -hmm. from, and you'd be better off playing badminton. Mm -hmm. Literally, if you're picking a sport, you'd be better off with badminton than swimming. If you're the kind of person who gets into flow Whoa. from swimming right. much more easily than badminton, you want to go in that so direction. So since flow, since different exercises can give different people flow states, let's put flow aside. Let's just look in terms of those five principles, right? And I think the audience understands. You also want to pick something that you're not just going to look at this ranking number. You want to pick something that you really love, that's going to put you on flow, that you have access to, that you can afford, and that, you know, that delights you. Okay, so let's start. Cycling. Scale of one to ten. I'm just, by the way, I'm giving you, I'm in my mind, I, I I'm, know I'm giving is, you data yeah. out of like the Mayo Clinic did this, right. did this work. I'm just, you know, I'm using their system. Uh, cycling, uh, road cycling or mountain biking? Road cycling. Road cycling, four. Mountain biking. Nine or a 10. Wow. Massive difference. Massive, Massive difference. difference. What's the reason for that? Dynamic motion. Road biking is a very, it's okay. It's mountain biking, thing. you're going also, um, right. Yeah, and mountain biking, you're going up and down, you're moving all over right. the place, much more uh, novel environments. There's mm -hmm. there's more going on, there's more going on for the brain. There's much more fast twitch muscle response work, more dynamic agility, right, blah, blah. Okay, uh, swimming. Three. So that's really low. Badminton. Six, seven. Tennis. Eight. Wow, yeah. tennis higher than badminton, yeah. and why? So I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure they know, but here, I think this is it. Tennis 
tends to come with clubs, more social, there's more social mm, right. around the tennis than I think around badminton. It, badminton is a little social, but right. I think tennis is like these huge, big social structures. Skiing also and snowboarding, when you look at like the action mm -hmm. sports, that'll give you like a social tan, structures, right? right? There's whole social structures around yeah, them. Rituals like around your it. kids. Mm -hmm. ra I mean, horseback riding is probably really high as well. And there's big sort of social okay. structures around, around so, that as well. So let's continue. Horseback riding. Uh, I, well, by the way, I'm gonna. We're just going one through ten. Yeah. And I'm just. I'm scaling. It depends on what kind of riding you do and what kind of riding. No, it, I mean, but like, are you aggressive? Are you trotting? Are you walking and trotting? Or are yeah, you? You're getting like, too detailed. You, I don't, my, my daughter does horseback riding. Right? I, have I don't no know. Idea. What to, I don't know. To tell you. But like, the more vigorous, the better. Is sort of the point I'm making on that one. You could be sort of trail riding versus just inside. Give me a so number. I'll give, <laughs> oh, sorry, buddy. A nine. Nine. Really. I make fun of my eight, daughter in, in a, in a loving way because it doesn't feel like exercise. I mean, the horse is Fishing, doing the exercise. You're really not supposed to make fun of your daughter. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we have a beautiful bond. We make fun of each other. But the horse is doing all the work. You're basically sitting on a horse. How have can that be a Have you ever ridden nine? a horse? I did. I got thrown off. I injured myself as a man. And I never got on a horse again. It was painful, Stephen, painful. I first concussion I ever had was a, I got thrown by right. a horse. So I'm with you, but I got back on the horse. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to have kids. So I chose not to oh, get back on the horse. That was a different kind of injury. Exactly. Um, there is Nine. some physicality involved. Okay. Yes. Okay. Pickleball. Pickleball, I think, uh, I've been asked this a bunch because it's mm -hmm. so popular right now. Um, it seems like it's going to fall in somewhere between like badminton and tennis, but with a bonus. So here's here's one of the cool things. So peak performance aging in a mm -hmm. sentence, right? You want to rock till you drop. You have to regularly engage in challenging, creative, and social activities that demand dynamic, there's that mm -hmm. word again, deliberate play and take place in novel outdoor environments. So Pickleball isn't exactly novel outdoor environments, uh -huh. but it's a challenging, creative, and social activity. It's dynamic, right? It's all five of those categories. It's not a ton of strength, so you right. probably want to add some strength training in, and you want to be stretching before and after, right, for mm -hmm. flexibility kind of thing. But um, it's very playful, right? Like mm -hmm. the whole thing about the big racks, the whole thing about it, and play is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll give you something. Here's something shocking. I My challenge and what, the, that I ran is, could I learn how to park ski in, in my 50s? People thought it was impossible. One of the reasons is there's we hear about this motor learning window, right? Like so they'd say, don't become a ballerina after the age of 18. Don't mm -hmm. become a gymnast after the age of, right? That kind of stuff. Um, it's because there's a motor learning window that we think slams shut. And it turns out there is a motor learning window and it does sort of close. But what really changes is not on the inside, it's how we approach learning. Kids learn by playing. Adults learn by work. And work comes with a lot more fear, a lot more anxiety, a lot mm. more self-consciousness, a lot more shame, a lot more of this crap that gets in the way of learning. Whereas play, doesn't have any of those things. And from a preserving cognitive function, from preserving physical health, mental health, I'm enjoying my life. You used the word delicious earlier, mm -hmm. right? Pickleball is very playful that way. So 
Some of the activities that are higher up on the list, I think are there because some of them are more playful because we know mm -hmm. play matters so much. Martial arts. I think martial arts are re remarkably good. One, there's a lot of anecdata, uh -huh. historical data, right? I, I recently uh, spent some time around Mark Devine, and he likes to mention that, you know, in Eastern traditions, there are martial artists who live to be 300 mm -hmm. or 400, and I don't think that's true, but okay, maybe it is, maybe it is. But one way or another, there's a lot of anecdata about martial arts being really supportive mm -hmm. of longevity. And certainly, um, I've got tons of friends who are involved in mixed martial arts on different levels. And you see, you know, amazing, amazing martial artists in their 70s, in their 80s, like folks you would never, ever, ever right. want to go anywhere near a ring with. And they're, you know, 30, 40 years older than, than you. So you see that all the time. And again, it's a very dynamic. Right. So, uh, what score would you give it? I would give it. I'd put it. In, I'd put. I'd probably put it in the ten category. In the ten category. Yeah. Okay. Surfing. Ten. Surfing is a ten. ten skiing. Even, it's ten. And okay. Well, ski, so skiing may get its own category. And this is. There was a a Japanese team uh -huh. that was looking at the best sport for longevity. Now, this, by the way, it's not in our country. Even though I went on a ski quest, I learned this after, like uh -huh. afterwards. Um, and it was because a friend of mine did a documentary on longevity and went to Japan and interviewed this the leading doctor in Japan on longevity and asked him, what is the best, single best activity? And he said, skiing. And it's because of how it loads the legs mm -hmm. in terms of bone density. So what's interesting is if you want to preserve bone density, you actually – you really have to put a lot of loading and you can't do it all. It has to be like a gradual to heavy loading of the legs. So it skiing actually mimics the way the legs should be let loaded for preserving bone density, according to this Japanese team. I haven't seen that duplicated. Mm -hmm. So from a scientific perspective, I'd want more information, but I'm, I'm sharing it. That's and incredible. And it, it is biased sort of in, toward my book. So I like it that That's way incredible. Too. Now, I, I grew up in Malaysia. Right in Malaysia, Asia, everyone does martial arts. Yes. So I went really competitive in martial arts. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, I competed in the U.S. Open for Korean karate. I did not Taekwondo. know that. Yeah. Oh no way. That was my first trip to the U.S. Was representing Malaysia at the 1993 U.S. Open Taekwondo Championships. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I cool. can still kick your ass. I believe <laughs> but, that. But I, I believe... have never skied. I have never, ever, ever, ever skied. And and this book is convincing me that I need to change that. Or snowboard. Or, or snowboard, right. Um, I mean, skiing from a bone, from the bone density thing, there are other hacks to bone densities. Like there's other, other ways around it, but I found it fascinating. Okay, so let's continue. Skateboarding. Yes. The hesitancy is that as a general rule, trouble with a lot of these, the combat sports, the action uh -huh. sports, you don't, you still don't want to get injured. Right. Our recovery tools, our regenerative medicine, long, those sorts of things are getting really mm. good, much better. So, so you want to avoid injury. You do want right. to avoid injury. And, you and think skate, No, I do. I think skating is a great activity, uh -huh. but it is a hard activity to learn. Right. So skiing has a lower injury rate than skateboarding. It's just you're falling on snow instead right. of concrete. So if you're going to learn to skate, those sorts of things, you body armor, right. those sorts of, like, be, you know, be really careful with it. Um, in all these things, um, some of this is about flow science, and there's, yeah. there's a whole bunch of science that backs this up, but in older adults, the mo you want to go slow to go fast. Right. So, um, whatever, whatever you're doing, you want to sort of see if you can start building with, like, an established motor pattern, something you can do all mm -hmm. the time with, you know, not a lot right. of fear, 
no chance of good going wrong and just build slowly on top of those things. Okay, now a couple of popular ones, um, yoga. Well, this is, so I'm gonna say something incredibly controversial and I'm, by the way, I've done yoga for 30 years. So I'm, and I think yoga is foundational mm -hmm. for peak performance aging and I will come out and advocate for it. But there are a lot of studies now that are looking at the benefits of yoga and they're not finding them in comparison to a bunch of other sports and they're finding some dangers around mm -hmm. like the slow stretching of muscles. A healthy body has fascia that rebounds quickly, mm -hmm. right? right? And if you're doing 30 second to a minute long stretches, you're sort of stretching out the fascia. Good body worker who works with fascia will say, never hold a stretch for longer than 15 seconds. That, that's interesting because in the book, Body by Science by Doug McGuff, he basically says stretching is useless. Well, so other people say that as well. There's a whole movement because they figured out that stretching is not about the muscles it's actually about the nervous system mm -hmm. so when i anesthetize you i can bend your leg right. behind your head um yeah you're totally flexible when uh -huh. anesthetized that's where you have the same thing with ba ba babies have that flexibility and so something about stretching has to do with the nervous system more than the musculature so there's this big controversy wow. around stretching in the physical therapy world mm -hmm. that said in my experience i think it really matters and certainly maintaining flexibility is one of those five core aspects of functional fitness so i, I don't know how to put a number on yoga because my number would be a lot higher right. than Sort okay, of so we're going to avoid where the world is right now in case the Lululemon crowd comes after us. Just two more ballroom dancing. So I think dancing is a great peak performance aging activity um, of any kind. It it combines a lot of different things. You may have to augment it a little bit with mm -hmm. some strength training, some other physical right. stuff. And uh, I said as part of the formula, if you really, really want to want to maintain physical and mental function, you want to regularly and do activities that take place in novel outdoor environments, that is not gonna be ballroom dancing. Novel outdoor environments quickly matter for a couple of reasons. One, novelty is a flow mm -hmm. trigger. So flow, we talked about how it matters for peak performance aging when we're novelty mm -hmm. will help drive us into flow. Two, outdoor environments have two benefits for us. One, we know from positive psychology, right. you're at 20 minute walk in the woods will yeah. outperform SSRIs, right? Proves serotonin levels, lower mm -hmm. stress levels. There are nine known causes of aging, biological causes of, of aging. They're all what they have in common, stress and inflammation. So anything that fights stress and inflammation is an anti-aging tool. So nature really does that. So that's great. But as a bonus, you want to preserve cognitive function. You want as I said earlier, the birth of new neurons and mm -hmm. new neural networks, what's called synaptic plasticity. That stuff comes out of the hippocampus. Hippocampus is the part of the brain that does long-term memory, also does map making and location. So the, the brain is designed basically. So if you had to give a score, score to ballroom dancing? Seven. Seven. Okay, that, that's that's not too bad. That's not Six. too bad. I don't so, know. I'm not really like a great scorer yeah, of these and, things. And you know, no, but 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 you have the science background, right? And and your gut is probably a pretty good indicator. No one we're not saying that these scores are are a hard science, right? But Stephen has gone through a ton of research. But what I find interesting about this whole conversation is it's changed my perspective. I don't do sports because I thought going to a gym regularly is gonna give me everything my body needs. But you and your book, Nar Country, has changed that. So one of the things that I'm committing to doing right now is to learn skiing. I've never skied before. And this book has convinced me that I absolutely need to change that. Cool. Now, Stephen, before we, we, we wrap up, 
there's a really important story about your background that I want you to share. And I know you've shared the story many times, but I think, you know, in just three or four minutes, my audience is really going to love this. It's how when you were stricken with Lyme disease, because you were at a point in your life when you just couldn't get off a sofa, you taught yourself how to surf and made a full recovery. Surfing is packed with flow triggers. So it's really about there's flow uh, flow states, right, which we know uh, they're peak performance states, but they there's a really powerful link between the mind and the body when it comes to flow. Surfing's packed with flow triggers to drop mm-hmm. me into flow. So when we're in flow, we experience feelings of mastery and control. These are sort of built into the state. Those are really powerful positive emotions. They amplify the production of T cells, which are the cells that fight diseases, natural killer cells, which are the cells that target tumors and other sick cells. When we move into flow, there's also uh, all the stress hormones get pushed out of mm-hmm. our system. So I had an autoimmune condition, which is essentially a nervous system gone haywire. So if you can reset the nervous system, which is what happens as we move into flow, um, mm-hmm. it, it really goes a long way towards healing. And finally, uh, all the neurochemicals that underpin the state massively boost the immune system. So flow, uh, you know, it underpins happiness and well-being and overall life satisfaction. But from peak performance aging perspective, the way I think about it is flow isn't just what makes life worth living, it makes a whole lot more life worth living. So you were on a sofa. And I was on a sofa for three years and over about eight months when I was surfing about twice a week, I went from 10% functional, meaning I could use my brain or my body about uh-huh. 10% of the time to about 80% but, functional. But, but, and, and, and the reason I want you to share this is because there are many people out there who are gonna have a hesitancy towards taking up something like skiing, especially if they're over 50, right? Mm-hmm. If you were only 10% functional, how did you even start surfing? Not by choice. If you, you remember the story, I, a friend of mine showed up at my apartment and demanded we go surfing and I was laughing. I was like, I couldn't walk across a room. And well, at the time I was so sick and she wouldn't leave and wouldn't leave mm-hmm. and wouldn't leave. And I, finally I, like, I was like, all right, well, like, let's go surfing. What's the worst that can happen, right? Um, and they literally had to carry me out to the beach. They put me on a giant board. Um, walked me out to the water um, and literally it was muscle memory. A wave came, it was a very small day. And, you know, I paddled a couple of times and popped to my feet. I think that was all the energy I had in the world. The rest of it had to do with flow. So when you're in the state, really potent painkillers, the neurochemicals that mm-hmm. underpin flow, you get endorphins. Right. There's about 20 different endorphins in the brain. I don't know if you know this, but the most common of which, it's a hundred times more potent than medical morphine. Mm-hmm. So these are really potent painkillers and things like that. So getting into flow, the state itself is what allowed me to function. I could have never done it without it. And it just so happened, when I say surfing is packed with flow triggers, what I mean is like, I was out there for 30 seconds. The right. first wave came, I pedaled a couple of times and popped into my feet. I've jumped into a, popped into a flow state almost immediately. And your 10% functioning all of a sudden went up and up and up. Considerably, yeah. And eventually, you could surf. You came out of that situation with Lyme disease. You started training for skiing. And can I share this picture of you? Roll this picture from the book. So those are some pretty impressive abs. <laughs> thank you, sir. So thank you, Stephen. So what I got out of this book, guys, is that there was this massive piece that was missing in my life. And I'm, you know, the mark of a great book is that you read it and it permanently changes you. And I can say that about this book. So go check it out. And I'm going to roll a trailer where a three minute trailer where Stephen's going to talk about what you're going to learn from the book, Na Country. Roll the trailer.
The traditional idea of aging, which most of you are probably familiar with, it's what could be called the long, slow rot. This is the idea that our physical skills, our mental skills, they decline over time, and there's absolutely nothing we can do to stop that slide. But not so fast. We've all seen world-class athletes, Kelly Slater and Tom Brady, performing well past any reasonable expectation. Slater, arguably the greatest surfer of all time, is winning competitions in his 50s. Seven-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady, he's still beating players half his age. But what about the rest of us? Cutting-edge discoveries in fields like embodied cognition, flow science, and network neuroscience have revolutionized how we think about peak performance aging. On paper, these discoveries should allow older athletes to progress in supposedly impossible physical activities. To see if theory would work in practice, I conducted my own ass-on-the-line experiment in applied neuroscience and later in life skill acquisition. Tried to see if the old dog could learn some new tricks. Essentially, took all these ideas, blended them together, and used them to see if I could teach myself how to park ski in my 50s. For those who are unfamiliar, park skiing is the discipline in skiing that involves doing tricks off jumps and on rails and boxes. If you saw the Olympics, think Eileen Goo, only this time with gray hair. Park skiing is an incredibly acrobatic pursuit. It involves flipping and spinning and other forms of mid-air contortion. It also involves long falls from tall heights. And for all these reasons, plus a half dozen other biological factors, learning to park ski is considered a young person's game. If you're over 30, it's extremely difficult. If you're over 50, well, no one over 50, no one in their right mind, that is, would even consider it. And this brings us to the point. I wrote a new book. It's called Nar Country, Growing Old, Stang Rad. It's a book about peak performance aging. It's a book about what it looks like when an ordinary person uses the tools of peak performance and peak performance aging to attack a seriously hard challenge in the second half of their life. NAR is action sports slang for gnarly. Gnarly is defined as any environment, any situation that is high in perceived risk and high in actual risk. Country is any territory or landscape, fictitious or real. Thus, NAR country is both a great description of our later years high in perceived risk, high in actual risk, and the gritty mindset that's needed to thrive during those years. NAR Country chronicles my somewhat radical, often hilarious experiment in peak performance aging. It's a book about goals and grit and progression. You can think of it as an antidote for the weariness. By the time you're finished reading NAR Country, you're gonna know how to do some stuff. You'll leverage the science of peak performance aging make the second half of your life maybe the most thrilling and accomplished period overall. You'll also learn how to tap into the superpowers of aging, creativity, new levels of intelligence and abstract reasoning, perhaps most importantly, empathy and wisdom. Let me put it differently. If you think you've done enough, you're just fine with long days of safe, secure, mediocre and average. In our country, probably isn't for you. But if you've ever asked what if, yeah, in our country, it's probably for you. The book was a blast to write. It was even more fun to research. Hope you love it. That's it. Awesome. Nice. Thank you, Stephen.